I have a little nutshell about this one, one of those little one-liners, and it just says, I can trust a yes from someone I know will tell me no. If every time I ask you for a ride home, you say yes, no matter what's going on, I have to begin to try to decide for you whether yep. it's okay to do that. I love it much, much better to know that, and I want to be that person to basically, right. I promise you, I will tell you. It starts right here, deep in your heart. Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger bring over 90 years of clinical experience to this important podcast, and they offer you a guarantee. You will gain something of personal value from each episode. And now, what matters most. It starts right Welcome back to Start Right Here. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is Dr. Alan Berger. Uh, and we are on, we're, we're, how many episodes have we done now? Patrick, how many? This episodes? is 31. 31. 31. Wow. I'm feeling like a podcaster, a caster of pods. Uh, so I'm happy to be back here. I love coming here and sitting down and doing this with you guys on, on a Sunday afternoon for, for me. And, um, it's, it's colder than hell here in Nashville. It's, it's, uh, I thought it was 13 degrees. Uh, Patrick just told me it was seven degrees and, and it does feel that way. What, what temperature is it for you, Alan? I think last I checked, we're up in the sixties. <laughs> I was just at the beach. So, uh, <laughs> There you go. There you go. So no, I, my, my dog loves running, running in the cold weather just as well as the other, the other. So we're good. So glad to, glad to be back. It's, um, we've had some really good conversations lately with, uh, with, uh, these conversations with Michael McGee have been really, uh, um, enlightening to me. They have, they've been really good from, you know, I'm, I'm chewing some big red chewing gum. All right, found, Big Red. I found Big Red the other day, and I was so excited. But I can't talk and chew at the same time. Well, you got to do what you got to do. That's that's fine. So, <laughs> yeah, you know the, the conversations with Patrick McGee have been really good, and I, I just Michael. His name is Michael. <laughs> I say Patrick McGee. They made they well, made a real I, I made real, a, impre him into, well, real I, impression I'm on doing you. A hybrid. You'll see why I'm doing the hybrid now. <laughs> okay, okay. Because Patrick and I talked after. Mm -hmm. We had the show with Michael mm -hmm. and, and it was a very interesting conversation because see, I'm, I'm always left with this weird feeling when, when someone takes the position that there's really no evil mm -hmm. and that to try to just love that, that person mm -hmm. kind of thing, mm -hmm. right. It's that, you know, which I understand it. I mean, there's a part of me that has a bit of a leaning in that direction, mm -hmm. but but I also go back to Scott Peck's work when he talks about people of the lie. Yep. And there are evil people out there in the world. And we'd be naive, in my opinion, to think that there aren't. And Patrick made such a great point. I mean, this is, this is the, the depth and, and thoughtfulness of, of our producer. He says, you know, Alan, maybe the issue is, is there's a difference between dealing with someone in therapy 
And then there's dealing with someone in the world or in terms of politics. He says, in therapy, I understand the importance of creating this environment. And he says, but in the world, politics, it's a different thing. There are things that are in the world that are just wrong, right? That are evil, like what Hitler did with the 6 million Jews. I mean, you know, when people say, well, Hitler did a few good things for his people. No, I'm sorry. That, that taints the whole deal, man. I mean, it's like, you know, you can't partial out that and say that there's, there was a goodness to Hitler. There wasn't, it was a, it was an evil. It was Machiavellian. I mean, it, he, you know, he had a design in mind in terms of how he wanted this world to be. And he was going to impose his will on us to, to create that and, and kill as many people as he had to kill and conquer as many nations as he had to conquer. And so it, it's, it's a very interesting. I mean, what, you know, I, I was really impressed with that, Patrick, when we had that discussion. Thank That's you. A- you know, and I, I do believe that, um, we should try to meet in the middle. But uh, where I agreed with Michael is he had this kind of list of qualities that both sides of any argument need to engage in, or need there needs to be like an agreed upon terms to conciliatory communication. But where I disagreed is, you know, his appraisal that both sides were observing those qualities in good faith and in coming to the argument. Well, you know, there can't be a meeting in the middle if you're, you know what I mean? Well, listen, it reminded me of, and I wish I would have thought of it at the time to bring it up as part of the discussion. It's like with what happened? Was it in Missouri when when there was this big confrontation? And then Trump's remark was, well, there's good people on both sides. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> It was Charlottesville. Yeah, Charlottesville. Where was all that was Charlottesville. So remember that. I mean, I was outraged at that. Here, here's somebody just got in a car and ran over someone, and we're gonna say there's good people on both sides, that they're carrying signs in that they're anti-Semitic. And I mean, it's like see, that's that's the part where this doesn't make sense to me. Right. Well, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't fit. It's like, I mean, is I mean, I think about how we do that in therapy, too, though. I mean, the, the truth is the people we we work with people who come into therapy. If we're working with a family, for instance, there there may be I'm, I'm actually doing a family thing right now with a, with a new family I'm working with. And and uh, and notice that uh, um, the first session that that several, you know, there were definitely is a lot of tension. This is, it's a weird thing to see a family for the first time virtually. And they're, they're all in their separate screens. So we're on the, but it's, it's like uh, they they all showed up, but I could definitely tell that everybody didn't want to be there. Uh, And, you know, and I, you know, we've talked about this before. One of the things that I think you and I both agree that we really want to work with people who want to be there where they want to, they want, they're showing up because they want to be. However, when you get into a situation with family or, or something like that's going on, you are going to find different levels of commitment to that. You are going to ask people in who may not be, you know, like all gung ho about therapy, but there still is a cutoff. There's still a place where somebody is so, is so, you know, uh, you know, anti-therapy or anti-communication or anti, you know, ba- what you were just saying, Patrick, just the basic rules, you know, that, that, that we're going to, you know, that if, if you know, I'll, I'll give them every chance they can just to disqualify themselves. But if somebody comes in and it hadn't happened very often because, you know, well, quite, because we're pretty good at, at, at bringing people in and getting some cooperation out of them, but it's, it has happened where you, where you, you just go like, you know, this, it's not okay for you to be here anymore because you're not, you know, you're basically not, you're not, you're not playing by the rules. And, and those people, 
I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying they're, they're evil. I'm just saying there, there is a place where you draw the line and say, no, this will not work. Yeah. And it's important to keep that door open. Um, I think that it's more about keeping the door open because clearly, you know, um, bat, uh, people and uh, hate groups do deprogram, you know, have, you know, have deprogrammed and have, uh, you know, um, made the proper amends. Uh, you know, we're no stranger to the amends process, you know, for all manner of uh, mm -hmm. infractions. But, um, you know, to not uh, to not seed certain values, you know, that uh, we should be holding on to is the key thing. And to, you know, it's more of leaving the door open than kind of that's it, territory. Patrick. Yeah. That's 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 exactly it, Patrick. It's like the um, yeah. Rather than don't don't let the door hit you on the way out. It's 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 the door will be open. You you know you, we. I hope I've been clear about what we're doing here. And if you want to come back, you know, and we may even down the line reach out to somebody again and and ask them to do that. That's that's yeah. That's exactly. That's, I don't know that I've always done it that way, Patrick. Yeah. But that's the way to do that. Yeah. Well, you know, this goes to an interesting thing. It's it's a little different than our topic for today is what do you do when things don't turn out the way that you'd like them to, right? Mm -hmm. When things don't go your way. But, you know, there was an interesting thing is that, you know, I have this training program that goes once a month and it's on gestalt therapy and I'm getting ready to, I give a lecture at this program all the time before we do a demonstration and then talk about the therapy. And this month we're going to be focusing on resistance. And, and it's a very interesting subject, this whole thing of resistance, because really that's what's defined psychotherapy, at least dynamic psychotherapy, is that we know that if change was just a matter of saying to a person, this needs to be changed, this is what, what would be good for you, and a person even agrees with it, yeah, I'd like to get over there, there's something that happens between where you're at and going where you'd like to be. There's something that goes on in the middle of that. And Freud was the first one to really talk about and try to understand the resistance. Like what goes on inside of a person that makes it difficult for them to achieve their goal, to be able to become who they'd like to be, those kinds of things, which, right. you know, that's, that's, that's the whole business of, of psychotherapy in some way is helping people understand what are the forces at work in within you you know, that interfere with you getting to where you want to go. Yeah. And, how, and how to get out of your own way. How to get out of your own yeah. way. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you and I talk about it, said mm -hmm. that there's all kinds of, you know, as, as uh, you know, um, I'm blocking her name right now, but she calls him um, villains, right? Mm -hmm. Dr. Mary Goulding, she calls them mm -hmm. villains, right? That, that are in our head that are, mm -hmm. you know, their pur sole purpose is to make us feel bad and sabotage our lives. Right. I mean, they're not there to, they may got you know come under the guise i want to be helpful to you mm -hmm. but i want to be helpful to you by pointing out you know how messed up you are mm -hmm. <laughs> how screwed up you are and how you're never going to be able to make anything of your life right. well thank you for that right, <laughs> I mean, right. thank you thank I, you for sharing I, I love how you say it tom is that when you recognize these voices in your head the first question you ask yourself is when is that when that first of all that you've been listening to that part for a long time and when has that part ever really helped you do anything that's right <laughs> that's one that's one that's, that's that was the turning point for me when i when i actually was able to turn in 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 a uh role play where where a friend of mine named philip was was role playing my you know my should monster the 
there and and he you know he of course i wrote the script he had the exact words i you know had he's sitting there you know he was he was way too close to me because that's what he was supposed to be doing and he was saying these horrible nasty things to me and i remember and this is an important point too maybe an aside but i think it's good i wanted to say it while i'm thinking about it because it's important for us to remember and for people listening to get is these these landmark times these growth spurts that we hit these places where we have these moments of enlightenment often don't come they seldom come with insight they come with exhaustion and i remember that i was just so fucking tired it was it was the it was in a, i was in a training program down in atlanta uh it was the last day of the training program for that year we're getting ready to go on break and i'm sitting there just just crumbled under my should monster and the therapist is sitting in front of me and finally I, I remember looking up and I don't know how it really sounded but I know how it encoded in my body and I looked at I, I looked at my friend's face and I said I don't care if every goddamn thing you're saying is true you're not helping and it was, you know, and I don't know that I ever felt the full impact of that until down the line, but something shifted then. And it was like, it was no longer, I was no longer, and this is one of the things I love to help people get out of. I'm no longer debating with it, with this monster that wants to, t- to t- convince me I'm bad. I'm just, I'm asking that question to myself. You're saying, Alan, which is, is this helpful? It's like, yeah. nope. I could be the lowest piece of shit on earth. You telling me that on a regular basis and just in my face about that does not help me at all. And, and, and look, in, in, in the aha moment for a lot of people is when, you know, and, and, and I've adopted this and since we're working together, is you get to disagree with these voices. I mean, that's like such that's a, what you, like, that's what really. you think. Yeah. <laughs> but, but see, it's so funny because in their head, they got this rule. You're not supposed to do that. You know, you're not supposed to disagree. Right. You're supposed to listen to that, you know? Well, and that's why we separate them because ultimately, I mean, if I think we think about it, the first before long before I was using this model, the first time I did that in my life was learning to disagree with my alcoholism. That's right. You know, you know, hey, right. you drink. And, you know, it was not it was not, hey, Tom, have a drink. It was it was I have to have a drink. Yes. You know, how do you recover from that? It's like, I have to have a drink. That's just a fucking affirmation. It's, it's like, that's, you know, and I'm, you know, that's just me. That's my conclusion. And, but the, the, the getting there where it's, it's like, Tom, take a drink. And I had that, that space and time that you always talk about that little moment of time, that tiny, like you and Victor Frankel talk about that moment where you get, where you get to say, what do I think? That's right. You know? And, and they go like, and you know, first with drinking, it was like, I guess not because I told my wife I wouldn't, you know, later, later it became a lot more powerful than that, but it's like, I still disagreed. Yeah. I remember, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of training in family therapy from Dr. Kempler, who was a, a pioneer in family therapy. Um, he was back there with Virginia Satir and, mm-hmm. and yeah. Bowen and all those folks that were putting families together when it was, you, you were considered to be a heretic in, in the field of mm-hmm. psychotherapy because you were, you were confounding the transference, right? Yeah, <laughs> you, were, right. you really were messing up the therapy bad by sticking all those folks in the same room. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all these people did it with great results. I mean, they just started to see, I mean, 
you know, the, the impact that Virginia Satir's work has had on families and even on the field of, 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 you know, recovery through Sharon Wegscheider Cruz. Oh yeah. yeah. And how she brought all Virginia's stuff right into with her modifications, oh, but. And, but it, and it continues, it, oh, it continues oh. through our work. Certainly. I mean, oh. I mean, I mean, without ever mentioning her name, Virginia Satir's all over what we do. All <laughs> over what we do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, um, she even had a book called Our Many Faces, right? She mm-hmm. talks about parts, just yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah. and I do. And, mm-hmm. and so many people do. But w- where I was just trying to connect this is that about the resistance of people showing up mm-hmm. in a family and not wanting to be there. And I remember one of the things Walter used to say as a therapist, he says, always think about who you'd like to be least in this family. He says, always put yourself in that person's shoes. Hmm. And, tr- and it was such an interesting thing because who you wanted to be least was probably the person that wanted to be there the least <laughs> right? Right. because right. of the dynamic that was going on. And he was so adept at helping people understand the process in the family that created an environment that excluded some and, and welcomed others. I mean, it, it, and Virginia did that with the rules, right? Pay attention to what the rules are. You know, what are the family rules here? What are the rules that we're operating under? And, and it's, it's a very interesting way to approach it. But look, where this kind of fits in with what we're talking about today, things not going our way, if we take it into our, the model that you and I use a lot, Tom, is there's a part of us, and, you know, you even said it before we started recording today, that can be very hopeful about how things are going to turn out. Mm-hmm. Like even, you know, recently with the impeachment and the fact that there was an, an insurrection that clearly, clearly was created by mm-hmm. Donald Trump's refusal to accept. First of all, the big lie is that somehow this election was going to be fraudulent. No matter what happened, mm-hmm. he set up that scenario that if he lost, he really won. And if he won, he won. So there was only one outcome to this election, and that means he won. I mean, that's how he said, and that he propagated that lie. And what did somebody say? I might have been last time. The, the you know um, Hitler's you know head of propaganda said the way to to manipulate people is tell a big lie and keep telling it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw that with the House managers. If anybody watched the impeachment, Trump started this scenario a long time ago. And he's just it's been going on and on and on and on and on. You know, he refused. He still has not conceded that he lost the election. Right. Right. You know, it's still that thing. It's that soul thing. And, And then so. You know, but, but going back to what you were saying, though, one of the things that I was uh, I think I was kind of surprised uh, uh, or, or, or just got my attention that all three of us, you and me and Patrick, we all acknowledged when we were in the conversation before we started recording that that before before the Senate voted on, on this trial, we all had we all had some hope. We yeah. all we all reported disappointment because we had some hope. And it's, it's like, you know, and I think you were the one that said, Alan, uh, where did that, where would we have gotten that? You know, where, where you know, what, where, <laughs> where, talk about evidence. Where's the evidence that we, that we should have? <laughs> oh, but it's like, it's, it's like, well, I think the fact that some, what was it? Six or seven senators, that seven, Republicans, seven, seven yeah. of them crossed over and voted 
for impeachment. I mean, see, to me, that that for was giving conviction for conviction. Is, 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 that's that's yeah, right. They can like vote for conviction. conviction. That's right. Yeah. That's a different thing. Yeah. And look, and I thought, you know, the point that this wasn't to punish Trump. This was to protect our republic. That's all this was about. And see, yeah. and, I, and I thought that that was such a good point. This was protecting our democracy. This wasn't mm -hmm. about punishing any one man, but was mm -hmm. to set up a, a hot boundary that says mm -hmm. there must be a peaceful transition of power. Mm -hmm. That is the cornerstone of, of a democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, it was George Washington's gift you know, to, to us all for when he, when he made that choice to, to do that, because that was not, that was not preordained. It's like, like he, he, he's the one that decided that this is, uh, this is enough. I need to hand this over. Yeah. And, lay down his sword before the continental Congress. Right. That was one right. of the greatest that's, moments in that's, history. That's right. That's right. Uh, but yeah, but you know, I mean, I, I think uh, when you talk about expectations, um, the existential pang of pain that I felt yesterday was that, uh, I did have an expectation that there was always some higher authority to appeal to and you mm -hmm. get to, and you finally work your way up and you get to the very highest authority and there's yeah. a reluctance, a refusal yeah. to push the mm -hmm. button on that. And, and, you know, there's like a ripple effect, I'm sure. And, you know, not everybody uh, abdicated their role. Mm -hmm. um, there were definitely some good people that were fighting the good fight, but uh you know, it's a, it's a stain that won't wash out, I don't think. Uh, it is. And look, it, just like in World War II, I mean, I, I'm reading this great book by this author, Jeff Sahara, which I just love his, his way that he writes about World War II. And he even said that, that when the Senate voted to get involved in the Lend-Lease program in World War II, mm -hmm. 38 senators voted against it. And to me, it was such a clear and present danger, Hitler. And what was going on over there at that point in time of the war, he had already, you know, conquered so many of, of the, mm -hmm. the nations in Europe and, and was threatening, you know, England at that particular point in time. 38 people said, still, let's not get involved. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 a mind blower, you know, that 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 we see these kinds of things in history. Mm -hmm. You know, look at what it took for Lincoln to pass some of the things in Senate that he had to pass. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it was amazing. You know, do I have the votes? Do I have the votes? It, it, which is the great thing about our democracy and also something that makes it a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. you know, one of my feel good COVID movies, it's going to sound a little weird this last year, was mm -hmm. uh, Spielberg's Lincoln. Oh, about the mm -hmm. passing of the amendment and uh, oh God, because yes. it's all about like, you know, dealing with the uh, pitch black, you know, kind of awfulness of um, the countervailing force, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. in trying it, to abolish slavery. He got the votes, but he got the votes. People voted the right way for the wrong reasons. Right. But I mean, at the end I, of the day, I, the reasons aren't what's well, important. That's what happened. Know. See, that's that's the other thing. And I think that's where where I heard, I think um, one of the house managers say, look, at the end of the day, we didn't get enough votes, you know, that there was still an acquittal, but we really proved our case. The fact that seven yeah. Republicans came over to our side and saw the points that we were making proves that now everybody knows who Trump is. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. Not that there was mm -hmm. a lot of question beforehand. I love yeah. that. One of the house managers said that this isn't to show people who Trump is. If you don't know by now, you don't know. You're right, never going right, to know. Right. No, but see, um, there are, I mean, even if it erases doubt in just one person, 
I think that it, it was there was work. a value to doing yeah. it. And I, believe it or not, there are some that, you know, uh, I, oh, listen, it's hard to believe I, I, after I, that what we've all witnessed. You know, I, we, I think <laughs> if there was an election today, he would not get the number of votes he got the last election. Right. right. He would not get them. That I, I think that there's so many people, even some of the right extremists who now feel betrayed by his abdication. And now that he's turned on them, because they were really expecting him to back them up, that that he would walk into the halls and say, yes, you're damn right that I tried to overthrow this government because it's wrong. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. they, I'm sure they had some expectations of that. Mm -hmm. Well, the, yeah, the, absolutely. This the <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's I mean. I think, and, and I actually, by the way, watch, watch me, watch me do what Alan does this best, but I'm going to try to make this great, great segue back to our topic. What's this? Everyone pay it close attention. Nothing up my sleeves. It's right. you're in a way we're, we're talking about that in the bigger picture of not getting our way. Like when you're talking, when you talk about the, 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 the get, getting uh, slavery abolished. It's like not voted, but not for the right reasons. Patrick said, well, that's, I, I, at the end of the day, that wasn't that, that what was most important. It's like, but ultimately this all comes back to the emotional sobriety stuff that, that I, you know, that you've really been just solidifying in my mind as we've continued to work on this stuff together, Alan is, 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 it really is getting our head around the idea of the, just that we do it ourselves, the vast imperfectness of ourselves, the vast imperfectness of everything, of absolutely everything, including that deal where, where it's like, if, because the, if, if we, because it does matter, you know, because the idea is when you say, well, they, they vote voted for political reasons to end slavery, but they didn't understand. It's like, how do you feel about that? Well, that sucks, you know? And, and personally, it's hard as hell for me to get my head around it. It's like, like, you know, but, but the idea is, you know, if I'm living then, or if I'm living now, it's like, I still have a choice about where I invest my energy yes. and I can go there and I can live in that disappointment and that, and that uh, even devastation of, of just the mankind, you know, just sometimes, you know, people, you go like, there are like, you know, what you were saying before, like Alan, you say, I mean, whether we use the word evil or not, there's just some bad people. You know, oh, and, 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 and there's also this phenomena where basically you can put together people who are basically good or somewhere, you know, somewhere on that left continuum and you put them together in, in some kind of an organization. This is how corporations can go so wrong. You get everybody and give them the cover of the group and man, we can see some bad shit come out of people. Now that's all that none of that is stuff going the way I want it to. None of this is not what the three of us and I don't and, and I, you know, and it's, it's hard for me not to, uh, to be honest, you know, I go like the, so the guy, the interviewer in my head says, so are you saying you're just better than those people? And I mean, my first response, if I didn't think I was being recorded would be, yeah, I do. It's, it's like, you know, and then another, the other voice in my committee steps up and goes like, I, you know, but who knows? It's like, we, 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 can, we, it's not hard to go in and find a context in which, which we can make me look pretty damn bad. It's like, I, we can do that. And I, and I can deal with that. We'll deal with that kind of stuff. But it's like it, I think it's about accepting just what a, um, how about this for a clinical principle? We just really need to be able to, to accept the clusterfuckness of the world. Well, look at you, you're making this point about the curse of perfection and that's definitely there. And let, let me, 
Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. I, another thing that came to mind as we're talking about this thing is, is that, you know, being able to deal with a situation when things don't go our way is probably one of the most important things in terms of our emotional maturity that we can learn it's, to do. It's, it's right. At the, I, I it's, thought about that when I was thinking about this earlier, Alan. It's at the top of the list. It is at the top of the list because... I have a burning question, by the way, about that. Okay, well, good. We'll get to it in one minute. Just let me set, yeah, set up this, this whole discussion about it because I, I, I think that that's why I wanted to... And I didn't know, of course, what was going to be the you know, the context of our discussing that today, but of course now with there's this whole big political context, but there's also a lot of personal context to this whole thing, right? It's like, where does this investment in things being a certain way come from? Well, I do think that for some reason that, that we all get this message and it may be that Christopher Lash was right when he wrote, that America has a culture of narcissism is that we all expect things to go the way that we think that things should go. And that, you know, good taste is when it agrees with mine. (laughs) I mean, so, so, you know, what you said a minute ago, Tom is right on that, that we have this, 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 this arrogance, you know, Mm -hmm. that says that, God, I know what's right. I know what's, what's best. Mm -hmm. And, yep. and isn't that the same problem on the other side that they're also thinking, I know what's best. I know what's best. And yep. this is where these things clash so bad is when we get to that. So that's one thing I wanted to say. But the other thing I wanted to say, I know for me that, that the setup has always been my big lie in life mm-hmm. that I've told myself more than Trump told the big lie about the election. Mm-hmm was that things needed to be a certain way for me to be okay. That was my big lie in life. And I can't tell you that the, that the problems that that created for me, the difficulties in accepting, you know, like my father's death, um, accepting when uh, things didn't happen the way I wanted to, when, you know, Susie didn't want to go out with me or didn't want to kiss me. Or when I got that C in that class instead of that B or that A, I mean, or, you know, when I ended up getting in a car accident and stuff like that, or, Mm -hmm. you know, then when I had, you know, urine retention and I had to deal with that situation in my life, or Mm -hmm. now that I'm, I'm confronting high blood pressure. I mean, you know, it goes on and on and on this, this ridiculous attitude I have that things must be a certain way to be okay. And now how have I unraveled that? Well, you know, one of the gifts that I got from Dr. Kempler is that, and he said this when turning to a partner that someone you love and care about, and you turn to them for something you need, like, I'd really like to talk to you right now. I've got something going on and are you available? And if they say no, what do you do? So here's an example. I'm in this relationship. I believe you love me. I love you. I need something from you and you're not available to give it to me. What do you do at that moment in that relationship, right? How do you handle that? This was his suggestion. He says, when you turn to your partner for something you dearly need, that you desire deeply, and it's not available, He says, appreciate what is. Mm -hmm. 
So what does that mean? Well, the first thing to appreciate if some if I turn to someone and they say, look, I really need this, this from you right now. And they say, I'm not available to give it to you is that they've been honest with you. That's what, that's what I thought. Yeah. Right. The first thing to oh, appreciate is, 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 the, it's, is the truth. But, but look, they gave you the gift they gave you was their authenticity. That instead of sitting there and being sitting there resenting God, you know, I wish, you know, that. I was doing this rather than talking to him right now, which is if, if, if somebody gives us something we want and they don't want to give it to us, are we really getting what we want? Probably right. not. Right? right. Probably right. not. I would think most of the time. So right. it, we, we may be postponing our disappointment. We're kicking it down. the mm-hmm. I was going to say that when Lincoln, even though he got mm-hmm. some of the votes for the, mm-hmm. the right votes for the wrong reason, the truth is he kicked the can down the road. That's all he did. Mm-hmm. And we see the problem of kicking the can down the road. Mm-hmm. We've been kicking the goddamn can down the road for a long time. And instead of dealing with what the real issues are, we keep kicking the can down the road and trying to legislate these things when you can't legislate the stuff we're talking about. Right. It's not a legal thing. It's a social thing. It's an emotional thing. Emotional. Right? It's a societal thing. It's a well, and I want and I want to go back before we go any far, far, farther away from that with the with because I think just the example of of first of all asking, which is respectful. This is one of the things we teach in communication is is you know you don't just barge in that door, you knock on the door. You have time? Can we talk about this? And and somebody doesn't have time. One of the things that I have a little nutshell about this one, one of those little one-liners, and it just says, "I can trust a yes from someone I know will tell me no." When somebody tells me no, if 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 every time I ask you for a ride home, you say yes, no matter what's going on, I have to begin to try to decide for you whether yep. it's okay to do that. I love it much, much better to know that. And I want to be that person to basically, right. I promise you, I will tell you. And I tell clients that it's like, they say, well, if I say you can contact me about so-and-so and I said, well, I'd be bothering you. I said, I'm not going to offer, I, I don't offer anything I'm not willing to give. Right. And it's, and it's like, and sometimes people get pissed off at me because I haven't offered it and I'm not given it, but it's, it's, it's like, that's what it is. It creates, it's credibility. That's right. That's exactly what it is. And see, and so there is always something to appreciate when we don't get yes. what we want. Now, it may take a lot of grinding to, to, to find that nugget of appreciation. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's always self-evident, right? Because sometimes it's going to take some looking. Because <clears throat> I've asked this to a lot of people in terms of, can you see what there is to appreciate when, when your partner wasn't willing to, to give you that. And they say, no, <laughs> I mean, I'm just pissed oh, now. I just, <laughs> there's nothing to appreciate about it other than the fact that a lawyer is going to get real rich because I'm going to divorce him <laughs> or her. Right. I mean, What I was going to ask about um, things not going your way is mm-hmm. that uh, I write and I struggle a lot with my inner critic and um, you guys are both authors and um has there ever, and I know how much work that takes um, from firsthand experience, but has there been a situation where you've just busted your ass to get something out and it just was not received in the way that you'd hoped? And how did you deal with that? Uh, I think that's something that any of us can relate to on some level. The disappointment. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. My, my, uh, um, 
I mean, there's so much, there's so much about that. I mean, I mean, first of all, we can do the, the should monster part about that where we have to get it out of our own way. But, but in terms, you're asking specifically about how other people, somebody else on the outside receives it. It's like the, the, uh, and I don't, Alan and I've never had this conversation about how our writing career started, but, but my writing career was, 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 <laughs> is is almost just, just uh, stereotypically boring in the sense that it, that it's just one fucking rejection after the other for years and years, <laughs> and you know, and 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 I at first it was I mean I really just I really did just think they were as soon as they got my manuscript that, that they would discover my genius and they'd be there at my door i really did it's like and it's like no and so i had a lot of that one of the things i did patrick is just a practical thing i i still have a dartboard in my office where i, I got it to put uh, uh form rejection letters on it to, to throw darts at when i when i would do that and and but here's the thing this and this is actually i never would have thought about them but this was a piece of emotional sobriety for me now that i look back at it it was not negative. It was not me being pissed off being, you know, I wasn't throwing darts at the, at the publishers who were sending me these, 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 these uh, form letters. It's like, it was through the friend, a friend of mine had, uh, he, he and I had written this, this one line. One of my, one of my first one liners was, was uh, of, of all things impermanent, take nothing sacred. And, and, you know, and it was just, don't take it so damn seriously. And so to put it on the, to put it on the dartboard was just to say, I don't, I don't, I don't have, it doesn't matter. It's okay. And, and, and the other thing I learned is I just learned to keep, keep, keep uh, putting that stuff out there. Uh, and the other thing I learned, by the way, and I'm happy if I can ever be of help to you that way, Patrick, I will be. I have always, because I can be kind of fragile in my little ego. Uh, when I'm writing something, when I'm working on something, I always have a, at least one, if not two readers that I know like what I do but also love me and are not going to ever want me to be embarrassed. So they're not going to, they're not going to tell me something is great when it's not great. And they're going to be respectful to tell me if something needs to be worked on and stuff like that. But that, that I know that I'm going to get some positive, honest feedback from. And it's like, it, I just call them my readers when I, when I'm working on this stuff. And it's like, like, and I've never done a project that didn't have that. And because I need to hear from somebody else because I am so hard on myself and can still be, I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I can still be that guy's still there. I'm so hard on myself. I need somebody else to balance that out. I need somebody that, that I trust. So that's, I don't know if that answers some of your question, but it's like, it is one of it is no, I love the, it. Inter, internally. It's the, it's, it's the hardest part. Yeah. I, and I, I resonate or I, I identify with a lot of things you're saying, Tom, my experience was, so my first book was um, Love Secrets Revealed. That was published by Health Community. Well, actually my first thing that was ever published was a pamphlet I wrote for Hazleton called How to Get the Most Out of Group Therapy. Hmm. And that pamphlet has done very well for Hazleton. It's sold mm -hmm. over 100,000 copies. It's really been a very, very, it's, it's very good introduction to group therapy. And, mm -hmm. and the idea of it was, is to give it to new patients coming into treatment so they would understand how to use the group and what they make them, make them good consumers. I love that. Exactly. I love that stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's yep. exactly yep. why that was written. It was based on that consumer approach to psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. If we want, if we want people to get more out of it, tell them how to do it. 
That's right. <laughs> right? It's, that's don't, don't worry about how smart your therapist is. See, see what you can do to get something out of them. That's right. Is and that's mm-hmm. exactly what what that pamphlet was written for. And it's still they still have it in their catalog. Great. Um, we still think that they could have promoted it differently, but it, they still they have it as an aftercare thing. And I don't know how mm-hmm. it ended up in aftercare. It's a pre-care <laughs> thing, is what it needs to be. But that was my first thing, and that was my first writing experience. And I sent my my manuscript, 12 Stupid Things That mm-hmm. Mess Up Recovery, to Hazleton, and they rejected it. They didn't want it. And they and the thing with a rejection is you don't get much feedback mm-hmm. other than this title doesn't seem to fit what we're looking for at this time. Mm-hmm. That's about the, 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 as much information as you get. So what I did, and I tend to do this with stuff like this, I, I have a group of people, too, that I trust. And I say, will you look over this and tell me what's missing? Mm-hmm. What could make this better? So every time I got a rejection, I would go back to the writing of it. I'd read it again. I would edit it. I would start to rework the manuscript mm-hmm. because I thought if it was better, maybe they would, they would take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Now, that ended up being a bit of a fantasy. Mm-hmm. because really what happened for Hazleton to pick up the first thing is that I just ended up on a flight with one of the vice presidents, Nick Motu, mm-hmm. and we were chatting up things. He says, well, what are you doing? You've been doing any writing? I said, yeah, I got this manuscript. I mean, he says, send it to me. I'm going to make sure that they look at it a little more closely. Well, that did it. I mean, that turned out to be, and so, you know, what, it, what it, um, I, I, Oprah's been credited with saying this, but I think other people have said it, it, you know, luck is when preparation and opportunity intersect Mm -hmm. and you're there to take advantage of it. That was a very lucky moment in my life. That's great. And once I got in the door, they looked at it, they helped make that manuscript as good as it is today. And that was the first book that got Mm -hmm. published for me. And it did really well. And then when you get Mm -hmm. something that does well, then that door stays open for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. Now I have to tell this story because it's my, it's my favorite uh, rejection story. This is back in the days before computers and we were sending by mail and waiting by the mailbox. And that's stuff. right. It's, so that's- I, I had a, I had a, uh, um, um, I, I had a, a product that I still, I still today would say is my best, best product, which is, it was, you know, these little one-liners I do, it was, it's called, uh, uh, it was called pocket shrink. And it was just, it was uh, these little, uh, they were business sized cards uh, with one line on them. That's all they were. They just a card. And it was, it was about uh, three, I think it was 360, 365 of them for, for one for, for every day. So, so I, and I even went to the trouble to have some printed up as a prototype, uh, had shrink wrap machine, had them shrink wrapped, sent them off to the publisher. Waited a long time, got the, got, got them back, opened up the package. The, there they were, the cards were, were still in the shrink wrap and the, and the, uh, and the, the rejection letter began after careful consideration. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, that's, that's one of the things too, to keep in mind, Patrick is there. They haven't always even looked at the damn shit. It's like, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's why it's, if you could get somebody to, to give you a warm introduction. <laughs> no, it always after I'm, I'm, careful consider what they do. I just well, imagine them look, looking, looking at the outside. Oh, well, going, no, and they forgot to tell you that they they went ahead and shrink wrapped it again after you looked at. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they carefully considered that sentence. They that that they did consider. They did. They did. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah. But that's what I've tried to do, Patrick, is if I get a rejection, I just go back and look at it. I mean, I... Yeah, you take action. Yeah, well, I take some action to make it better. I just... Before computers got as sophisticated as they did, and you had to hit (laughs) control save all the time to (laughs) save what you're doing, then they, you know, I love the guy that put in automatic save. God. I, 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 w- I would kiss him if I met him or her or whoever it is. I mean, it's like before that, if you didn't hit control S, the work you were doing wouldn't get saved. And the, and the computers back then had a tendency to be a lot more unstable, right? Mm-hmm. They were unstable. So I'd be doing this work. I'd be writing like even 12 stupid things. I'd be writing it. And I wrote this great paragraph. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the computer shuts off. Yep, yep. And I go, oh, shit, did I save that? No, I didn't save it. I've, I've lost an entire chapter before. It's like it's like you cannot rewrite a chapter the same way twice. Yeah, and then I would always tell myself after beating myself up for about 10 minutes or so, I'd say, okay, this is an opportunity to write it better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just try to write it better. you know. And then sometimes I'd get hung up on, I know what I lost is better than this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how am i ever gonna find it it's like it's gone into never never land yeah Yeah. where did these things go can you if you just stop and think for a minute where did all those things that we didn't save go it's the same thing with ideas anyway and i i know this because i hear people talk about it all the time living in nashville tennessee it's like you know they say it's one of the things you hear probably around los angeles to say the same thing but it's like is you know as a writer it's like if you get an idea you better get it down fast because somebody else is going to get it it's like it's you know it's, the ideas are just there so i'm assuming the stuff we lost on the computer just went back into the pile you know it's just, it's just <laughs> Somebody it's like else that, uh, wrote- Hemingway briefcase. Remember Hemingway lost that briefcase on a train that had all that unpublished uh, gold. Oh yeah, on it, you know, and yeah. <laughs> all lost to the ether. Yeah. Ernest Hemingway. Like, oh my God! No Did kidding. he really? I didn't know about that. So he lost a briefcase with manuscripts that were. Yeah, yeah. It's like wow. It's like it's out. It's it exists somewhere. Yeah. What you said about the technology getting better, you know, and that's there's a positive and a negative because now there's fewer excuses, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I do know this. The, 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 I think the same thing is true today. I haven't. It's been a while since I've done this stuff because, but it, it's like whenever I would get, I, I had my dartboard, and whenever I would get a rejection letter, uh, you get. Uh, I think I think this is actually required. You turn the lights off, you light a candle, and you put Jackson Brown on, and you and you lie down on the floor. You know, and you just lay there for a while and, and, and to, then you get up. So you, you go right immediately to the action, Alan. I, I'm a depressed guy, man. I, I, I had to lay around and feel sorry for myself for some amount of time. And Jackson yeah. Brown was made for that. So yeah, Jackson Brown is great for that. <laughs> no, but look, eventually, and we have to take whatever it takes. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I remember when I, I was uh, sitting for, so, I, I hold two uh, mental health licenses. I have a license as a marriage and family counselor, which I got in the 80s. And I have a license as a clinical psychologist, which I got in the 90s. And, and the reason there's such a gap between is because you cannot use the 6,000 hours of supervision that you used for your one license with your second license. They have to be a total separate. So I had to get 12,000 hours. So I passed the written exam for the psychology license and I had to go to the orals. And to me, 
that's where I'm going to shine the best, right? I've got some pretty good oral skills. I can think pretty fast on my feet. So I go in and this is just when AIDS is starting to come into consideration in terms of ethical issues and treatment. So this is the, this is the vignette I had to discuss for the, uh, the, for the panel of, of examiners. Um, John is in the waiting room and you're going to see him. He's a 19 year old meth addict, crystal meth addict that's HIV positive. And you're sharing an office with a female colleague that's also seeing a patient, a female patient, who's quite attractive at the same time. And John comes into your office and says, who the hell is that hot gal that was out in the office? I was just talking to her and, you know, I got her phone number and I can't wait to get together with her because I'm going to screw the hell out of her. I can't wait to have sex with her. So then the question is, what is your ethical responsibility? So as therapists, we're told that we have a duty to warn if somebody's going to be harmed by somebody. <laughs> so if Patrick came to see me and says, you know, I just can't stand this anymore. You know, I'm going to get a shotgun and I'm going to blow away, you know, a bunch of people because I'm so angry. Well, it's my job to do everything in my power to stop you know, Tom from doing that. Mm -hmm. If he was going to go shoot you, Patrick, I'd have to call you up and say, Tom's on a rampage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, watch out. Mm -hmm. If you work in a place, a business where other people might, I have to let the manager of the place know so that they can alert and take steps necessary. I mean, it's a big deal, this duty to warn. They called it the Tarasoff decision, right? Mm -hmm. and, and they hold this thing. So now the big question when HIV came out is, are we... As therapists, do we have a duty to warn if this patient is telling me he's going to go date this other gal and try to sleep with her? How do we address that? Do I have a duty to warn at that point in time? So here I am thinking, well, I'm going to, I've got this thing nailed. I'm going to say, first of all, I'm going to talk to him and say, so look, you know, what kind of a responsibility do you feel you have? And if you're going to have sex with someone, how are you going to deal with your HIV? And, you know, and I'm going to, you know, encourage him to be honest with that because, you know, he's been through hell probably in terms of, I'm not, I'm, you know, I don't think he wants someone else, especially someone he might care for to want to have to deal with that stuff. And then if he said, I didn't have a plan, well, I, I would talk that over with him. And if he, you know, if he seemed, you know, amenable to it and stuff, I don't know, but I, I'm going to feel that there's no duty to warn because he's telling me that he's going to take steps to protect this person. Mm -hmm. Now, if his attitude was, fuck her, I don't give a shit if she gets age. Mm -hmm. Somebody gave it to me and I'm going to give it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Then I feel like I have some kind of an obligation to intervene mm -hmm. and talk to him about that and try to deal with that as part of the psychotherapy. And if not, then I do feel like I have a duty to warn. I go fucking slam dunk burger. You got mm -hmm. this one, man. You really nailed it. Get the letter back. They failed you. <laughs> they failed me. I, really? What was the correct answer? Did you ever find that? That was that. That was a good That's answer, like, man. I I licensed you just now. It's like I, you know. It's, I, it's, I thought it was thoughtful, and I thought it was considerate, and you know, and all kinds of stuff that I thought I handled it. I have no business. So this is the field was so split that one group of people were saying you have a duty to warn. Yeah, yeah. Another group was saying you don't. 
I happen to have three people that were on that side of the aisle that says you don't have a duty to warn. And that my, my even bringing it up and talking about it was inappropriate. Wow. Politics. And and then I started, so I got so upset with this thing. I was enraged because I thought I had reached out to the California state psychological association. I, I, before I had, you know, you know, came up, constructed my opinion. I wanted to understand what's the best way to sound this. So I was bringing in information from a lot of different Mm -hmm. sources. I got up when I got that rejection. First of all, I felt terrible, right? I mean, it's like, God, my heart was broken. I was so disappointed. Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown time, Mm -hmm. man. And I sat with that for a while. I was in (laughs) self-pity. I mean, I really did it. I wish I would have known about the Jackson Brown. I would have been definitely downstairs with a candle in Jackson Brown. I mean, that's where I would have beheaded for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, because I couldn't sleep, I got up and I wrote this wonderful letter to the board. I thought it could have been a thesis itself. Wrote it, send it off to the board. They said, sorry, you're going to have to take the exam again. It didn't matter. I did feel better once I expressed everything. I did everything I could mm-hmm. to say that this was my opinion. And I think that that's an important thing. I said, I spoke my mind. I, I talked about, you know, where I thought that this was. Oh, my God. Did you mean to do this on our topic? Do you realize this is the perfect example of our topic? No. I, I, oh, wow. I'm so impressed with, with your unconscious mind. It is beautiful because you, ex- you expressed it. You didn't get what you want. You still had to go do it the other way. Then I, had to, then I had to just deal with the reality of it. Okay. So Absolutely. And now I, I go in and I, and I and I try to get clarification. And what they said was, this was the most controversial vignette because no one agreed on what was the right answer. So almost 70% of the people that had this vignette failed it. Because there was no agreed upon consensus in terms of how to handle it. So look, it was an unfortunate situation I was in, but it was unfortunate. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and once I got past objecting to it, and then I did the stuff we're talking about. Now I had to go back and take the exam. Second time I went through the exam, I did well. And I, I was I, yeah. I did learn something from this to be very thoughtful. If there's another side to the opinion to, to elucidate that other side and in my awareness of it. And, and you know, things like mm-hmm. to say that if I had any question, I would consult <laughs> someone yep. that had more experience in the field. They wanted to hear stuff like that. Well, mm-hmm. that was part of my limitation in terms of what I didn't do on that mm-hmm. one. Um, I don't know if that would have passed me or not, but it didn't matter because I had to deal with it, you know, the way I had to deal with it. Anyway. I love that, though. That really is a great example of, uh, we, I mean, we could take it in all kinds of different directions. Uh, we had more time, but it's, it's like the idea is, is you know, you, you take, I think Patrick said, you take action. You know, you, you know, you don't, you know, and you, you know, and that's, you know, that's, that's the whole non-victim way. You know, it's, it's like we, you know, victim, non-victim. We all, we, I think we're all wired to, to experience life as a victim, which is like, this happened to me. This is the way I feel Jackson Brown. And then, but then, then during, during that moment, that time, we, we need to regroup and realize how I'm doing is about how I respond and only about how I respond. And that's the literal meaning of responsibility. And that's what you did. 
That's exactly it. Yeah. And that's, and that, and we can all go all the way back to the, to the political stuff. Hopefully that's what we're all doing uh, as, as uh, citizens of this country. We're taking what it is and we're going on to the, to the next piece. You know, we, uh, yeah, we about put, the, about the politics. Sorry about that. Um, adopt whatever mentality you can to live to fight another day, <laughs> whatever is going to allow you to do yeah. that and uh, keep carrying it forward. Right. Right. Well, I, and I put out a thing. I, I think I, I think I sent it to you guys, but I put your I put your pictures on it. It's up from our podcast that just about the politics stuff that just just had the line on it. It said uh, we, we must never leave our, our government unsupervised again. That's the other part of this thing. And, you know, when I said, Patrick, earlier that we've kicked the can down the road and I think we've kicked the can down the road instead of investing in 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 creating more wisdom in our society which is what I really think we've got to find a way to do. We've got to find a way to get people to think more critically and, and to use and to, you know, help people mature because, you know, what, what do we say? The consciousness that's creating their problem can't solve it. And even though he got those votes, there was a consciousness that was creating a problem that, that wasn't going to solve it by just go ahead and getting a vote and passing the, the law. Right. Because this isn't, you know, I think we have to legislate things. I'm not saying that that's not an important part of this. But as we saw with the civil rights movement, you pass the civil rights and it's still being played out, isn't it? Anyway, great show today, Tom. Just the family got to sit around the dinner table and talk today. Uh, So thank you guys very much. And I got a lot out of today. I hope the listeners have as well. And see you guys next week. It's a spiral, not a circle. Round, round, round For solutions, be your own friend Never say never in either direction Look in the mirror, trust the reflection